1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: 1067 The Fan, Odyssey app taking it to nine o'clock. Virginia Tech Tech Talk coming on at 9 o'clock. Had a host of great games coming up this weekend in the NFL. They will own this weekend. Las Vegas. The Raiders at Cincinnati, the first game. You know, Donald, there is a so there's a thread that runs through this town about what a long walk in the desert it's been for this the local professional football franchise. And I look at some of these other programs, some of these other teams, you know how long it's been since Cincinnati won a playoff game?
3: I don't, but I know it has to be up there for sure.
2: I think it was 1990. Wow. What was going on in 1990? The first Bush was president. Pistons won the NBA championship. Super Bowl was, I'm going to say, it was San Fran and maybe Denver. Um, I mean, this was eons ago. <laughs> How old are you, dude?
3: I'm 31, so I was born in 1990. You were? Okay. So that was the okay. year I was born. Yeah,
2: my, my oldest son was born in 1992. And okay. That seems forever ago. And, man, you think about what it's like for a – that town must be on fire right now. They got a star, young quarterback, and we're going to get to that momentarily. They've got a huge star wide receiver. I mean, like a megastar wide receiver in Jamar Chase. And – and they got a highly beatable, although competent, opponent coming in this weekend. they got to be feeling pretty puffy in Cincinnati, no question about it. They game, that game's at 4.30 on NBC. Um, in Cincinnati, uh, the Bengals are five-point favorites in that game. The line has actually dropped a little bit, started at six. Fascinating game, the second game. It's New England at Buffalo. Now, these teams, this is the third time they've played, obviously, their divisional rivals, and I think so much has been made out of that first game that was played in Buffalo in 60-mile-an-hour wins where New England ran, threw the ball twice, I think, in that game, ran it every other down. And, you know, people talk about the, the genius of Belichick, and I'm not going to argue that. I mean, he's the best coach of his time, without question. I think, But I do think a lot, I think that was such an anomaly, and I think that the Bills showed that it was an anomaly when they went to Foxborough and smacked them around in the second meeting. So I think way too much has been made of that. I think Buffalo is simply the better team. And you know what? When Buffalo loses that game or lost that game to New England and Buffalo, you know what word was thrown around about the Bills? The S word. Soft. And nobody, no professional athlete is going to stand for being called soft. They may be undersized, which I think the Bills are defensively. But, man, they've they've come back since that time. They're playing not quite as well as they did the first five weeks, but they're playing really well. I love the Bills in that game. It's also supposed to be what football in January is supposed to be like that night. It's supposed to be balls cold, a little bit of wind, right, but not 60 miles an hour, 10 to 15 miles an hour, which means that Josh Allen's going to be able to throw the football around a little bit. He's got the good wideouts and stuff. So, I mean – I'm all for football of any kind on a weekend like this, but somehow it being played in the weather, whether it's snowing in Green Bay or snowing in New England or wherever, it's it's the way it's supposed to be, right?
3: Yeah, I was going to say, like, I know it's probably brutal for the guys on the field, but I'm with you. I love that, you know, cold, like you said, visually. I know if it's just cold, that's one thing, but to then see the snow and – Things like that. I love that. I love the imagery, the visuals. Of the guys. Yeah, exactly. Visuals,
2: awesome. I, I I heard Josh Allen last night talking about what it's like to play in extreme cold, and and it reminded me of, you know, we've all as kids gone out on a really cold day and played, and like the first time you get hit or the first time you try and catch a pass, you know, and obviously you're not wearing gloves, you don't have the neoprene or whatever the the wide receivers are wearing, you're out there with your bare hands. For the first time you ever try and catch a pass, it is—it stings like hell, man. And it's what yeah, it is an indelible. It literally
3: feels like a brick coming yeah, at you. Yeah, it's an
2: indel. <laughs> and it, you're right, the football is hard as hell. It's like it's like concrete, and it does feel like um, you know. I mean, it's it's painful. But and he was he was actually very comical talking about what it's like. And and the thing that kind of struck me was, here's a guy describing what it's like to play in Buffalo dude played in y at wyoming he knows what it's like and maybe that means that you know people out west most of my family's in colorado and of course they're getting a boatload of snow and you know it's it's cold out there in the winters but they they all complain they all say that the coldest they've ever been is like in chicago you know the places by the lakes where you get humidity that you don't get out west and josh allen when he was our when he was talking about the cold he was talking about Buffalo. He wasn't talking about playing in Laramie, Wyoming, you know? So, I mean, it kind of, it struck me as, wow, that is uh, that's interesting. I, right, Philly, Tampa Bay. I, um, I, I, I confess to have a rooting interest. I'd like to see Tampa Bay advance. I think they're the most entertaining team. I can't help but think that they're going to be hurt by the loss of two wide receivers in Godwin and, and AB. And I, I'm not even going to get to the AB stuff and, that's been well chronicled and that was a show for last week or for Monday after he did what he did against the Jets um but at any rate um I I'd like to see Tampa win in that game something tells me that Philly's much improved defense is going to keep it way closer than the eight eight and a half point uh, spread that we're seeing right now
3: yeah they good defense uh solid running game i mean jalen hurts you know obviously mobile quarterback so
2: it's it's not going to be an easy road for them yeah i'd do our i'd run rpo all day long trying to keep the ball away from that tampa bay offense for sure and i think last i saw i think they're supposed to have some weather down there now it's 75 degree weather or 80 degree weather <laughs> right. but it's weather, weather weather nevertheless right you know so um San Francisco at Dallas. This is the one everybody's talking about, you know, largely because the Cowboys are involved. We got to bow down, right? America's franchise. Uh, San Francisco, the 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 pick of of kind of the darling of the media right now is an upset, you have to pick an upset somewhere along the line. San Francisco, the most obvious choice. I, I don't know, you know, when everybody jumps on the bandwagon like this, Donald, I hate it. I I would love to see them win. I'd pay cash to see them win. But I just, uh, it, something scares me when everybody's saying, ah, oh, this is it, this is the one. Dallas at home in the playoffs, prolific offense. They get that running game going against a good San Francisco defense. I think it would be a close game. But I think Dallas ends up winning that game. Uh, Pittsburgh and Kansas City. I don't know when the last time was a NFL playoff game had a 12-and-a-half point spread. I'm sure I since I say that, probably happened last year you know, because I'm making a big deal out of it. <laughs> right. But but that's a big number. And you talk about living right. Kansas City had to had to have everything happen correctly last week for them to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, who they completely handled just a couple of weeks ago. They completely handled them. They could have been playing a L.A. Chargers team that they struggle with. That's a, that's a you know, they've... They lost at home to Justin Herbert, and obviously they weren't playing as well as they are right now. But that's a, that's a matchup I don't think the Chiefs wanted at all.
3: No, not – yeah, not at all. And I don't even know if you – did you see the quote from Ben where he was just basically like saying, we don't have a chance here. We snuck in. We, we're we just going to have fun with uh, it but this he's weekend. Just, he, yeah, he's – But, you know, he's ro- kind of He's on playing reti- rope-a-dope. Yeah, yeah and he's, he's kind of on his retirement tour right yeah. now a little bit too.
2: But, but, okay. So I'm not a Pittsburgh guy. I'm respectful of longevity. I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of anybody who does it for as long as he did, as as he's done. I kind of wish when I see a guy play like that, that he wish I wish he'd retired a year or two ago. But it's just his his prerogative, and he played on. Not that he needs solidification of legacy, but would a win in Kansas City basically put him on the wall in Pittsburgh? It'd be Building a statue to him out front of that place.
3: Right, right. Yeah, to answer your question, no,
2: not at all. I mean, he doesn't need it. No, no, Yeah, but, but what a, what a win that would be for him.
3: Yeah, I mean, just to go out with a, you know, playoff win or something like that, that would oh, be pretty cool, you again, know?
2: Also, against, you know, against their, uh, KC's sort of become America's team. Of course, yeah. They're on that, it seems like they're on national TV as much as anybody. And, uh, you know, we we know all the storylines with KC, Kelsey, uh, Tyreek Hill, Eric Bieniemy's frustration about getting a job. You know, we know all those things. And we get all the visuals of Andy Reid stopping along the sidelines as well, looking at that huge play sheet of his. Lastly, we have on Monday night Arizona and L.A. And um, I think Arizona limped to this point. They were so prolific in the first six or eight weeks of the season. Kyler Murray looked like he was destined to be MVP of the league. Uh, they limp down the stretch, love Los Angeles in this game, particularly since they get get that game at home at SoFi. But, uh, you know, all it takes is one seminal performance from a guy as electric as uh, as Murray is, and, you know, he'll keep you in a game like that. Arizona's defense has not played nearly as well down the stretch of the season as they did the first six or eight weeks. So a lot of good games on, um, on Monday. We'll get a chance to talk about those in a little bit. I want to talk a little bit, and when we come back from break, you know, Because, as they say, Bear Bryant, the great Bear Bryant, used to say, the eye in the sky does not lie. And basically what he was referencing was the fact that everything you do on a football field is basically recorded on tape, video, digitally, however you want to say it in this day and age. Of course, it was tape back in the day. You know, Bear used to burn that projector all night long, you know, and those days are gone. But... The website PFF does such a nice job of grading out NFL players of every position, and they did their annual grades for this year. Those came out today. And I uh, just wanted to go over some really interesting things that came out as a result, not just who graded out tops of their position, who the biggest surprises were, who the, 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 the rookies that performed best at each position. And also, you think we had any WFT representation in there?
3: Uh, I mean, I can think of a few guys. We had one.
2: We had one. In I the was going to say really represented and that's Jonathan Allen. We'll get to that here. Cool. Momentarily. The name of the show is overtime. Chris knocky, Donald Hangerson on one Oh six, seven, the fan and odyssey app.
3: This
1: episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
2: All right, it is overtime. 106.7 The Fan and Odyssey app. Chris Knocky, Donald Hankerson with you till 9 o'clock. Tech Talk at 9. Going over some NFL news and notes. One of the things that just absolutely floored me. I I know you saw this, Donald, because it made news everywhere. Eric Weddle unretires. Going back to the Rams for the playoffs after Jordan Fuller got injured in their last game. Now... Eric Weddle was a terrific football player. Very good with the Chargers, good with the Ravens. Finished his career with the Rams, okay? Obviously stayed close to home. I'm sure he's close to the franchise. He retired in 2019. NFW. No way is he ready (laughs) to play football right now. And if, in fact, they're going to use him, for major props to him. If if he's going to be brought up and playing, major props that he's kept himself in that kind of shape. I will tell you there's a difference between being in shape and being in football shape. And But I, I this is the smacks of desperation to me, and it also tells me to take the over in that game. Because as I just mentioned, Arizona's defense limped down the season. The Rams have all sorts of injury issues in their defensive backfield. Obviously, great defensive line. I mean, they've got some guys who can play, but I mean, I mean, that that is a, those are issues to be exploited by, by, uh, Arizona, who's got some skill players, you know, he's got, and he's got a good, very good quarterback. So, but Eric Weddle last played in 2019 as a result of the injury to Fuller. I mean, they have also got two other key injuries in their secondary, uh, Taylor Rapp, who's a safety. Um, He's hurt. Darius Williams, also shoulder injury in that game. I mean, they're down to a bunch of jags, as Grant and Danny like to say. Just a bunch of guys. And it'll be interesting to see if my man Eric Weddle gets any run, gets any burn. Um, so that makes that first game Monday night really interesting. Elsewhere, the website PFF, and I, I know it's this this website gets discussed a lot on this station. I find it to be really interesting can't say I understand all the methodology, but I, I think it's got some clout, and I think it's got some clout in terms of the way GMs see the game, and I think it's got some way some clout in the way that the contracts are negotiated and the way these guys grade out in any given game or any given year, as is this case. So at any rate, with the re- end of the regular season, PFF graded. Put together cumulative grades for every player on the during the course of this season, and there were some surprises. Some surprises. There were also some, you know, as he said in the movie Casablanca, round up the usual suspects. Where you see, you know, who gets at the top of these lists, and you think, yeah, no kidding. You know, I I don't nobody I don't need a nerd to tell me, you know, who the top quarterback was. I don't need a nerd to tell me who the top wide receiver was. I had him on my fantasy team. I watched him every week. We're going to get to that. All right. So, at any rate, without further ado, quarterback. All right. Last year, Aaron Rodgers was the number one-ranked quarterback, PFF. This year, he is overtaken by a 44-year-old, Tom Brady. Finishes the season barely ahead of young guns Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, who finished second and third, respectively. Uh, and he did it as the Buccaneers receiving corps crumble around him. I mean, we talked about Godwin, a, b, being gone for sure. Brady, pretty much a steady hand that could take Tampa Bay back to the Super Bowl. One of the amazing stats about Tom Brady, and you and you get a to chance to appreciate it after watching the locals play here. He led the league in perfectly accurate passer rate of twenty two point nine, which means basically on every. Th- Four passes, he's dropping it down the chimney hitting somebody in stride. One of the issues that we had here this year it seems like never hit uh, hit like never could find McLaurin at full gallop you know and when you did the rare times that you did you know he was off to the races but at any rate impressive 92.0 grade for Brady um, top ranked rookie now keep in mind this was the year of the quarterback in the NFL draft there were a lot of guys who got picked and the guy who was handled best by his coaches ended up being the top graded rookie, and that would be Mac Jones. Uh, he came on strong. It's a important. It's an impressive start. Also, he had a very good first ten weeks. His end of season grade was seventy nine. It was eighty four up through week eleven. Spir- spiraled a little bit after week eleven, but I think that's understandable. Rookie sitting wall in a long NFL season, and um, you know they kept him treated him with kid gloves, and he responded with it. They didn't make him or ask him to do anything silly. One of the things he also had, and we're going to get to this next uh, when we get to running backs, but his running backs graded out higher than anybody else, not what you would have expected. Um, so we mentioned Herbert and Joe Burrow. Finished right behind Brady, Burrow 91-7. Um, Herbert, 90. I don't know who the comp is for Joe Burrow. Maybe Montana esque, you know, I mean, incredibly accurate, great poise and presence. But I watched Justin Herbert play, and I can't, that is John Elway all over again. Just a big, strong, strapping dude with a rifle who can also take off and run 20 or 25 yards at the drop of a hat. I mean, it's so impressive. Both these guys flashed big time talent as rookies last year, they were excellent this year. Herbert has become, as I mentioned, a machine. His accuracy and ability to go through reads at a high level took another step forward. Um, Burrow displays pinpoint accuracy. These are the words of PFF. Displays pinpoint accuracy and late in the season started to find the playmaking ability that made him the 2019 Heisman Trophy winner. Okay, running backs. Surprisingly, we did not get a running back from the Indianapolis Colts who graded out at number one. Keep in mind that these these the way PFF grades is grades on every play blocking, it grades on pass receiving. Whether if you're a running back running the football as well, both the two guys who graded out really well are New England Patriots, Damian Harris. You know, Damian Harris took advantage the Patriots last year. It's it's enormous the usage rate that they had for for Cam Newton in the red zone last year. And then when Cam was gone, there's this huge vacuum that needed to be filled. I thought all along Damian Harris would be a great fantasy football player. He ended up being just that. He ended up getting hurt at Buffalo in that wind game after he had bolted on a 50- or 60-yard touchdown run for the first touchdown of that game. But you consider it as a receiver and as a, as a runner, he was very impressive this year. He was a first-down machine on the ground finishing with 55 first down runs on just 202 carries. Think about that. That's a great stat right there. Um just, you know, uh just ahead of Jonathan Taylor ended up uh ended up right behind him. Taylor had the best run grade, but his best overall grade for running backs um goes to uh Damien Damien Harris. The best top rookie is another Pat Patriot Ramondre Stevenson, who's a horse, he played a lot with Harris, kind of a one-two punch, dual threat, finished third among among rookies in the missed tackles forced per rush. But overall, he uh, there's no stuff stuff rate for him, never got caught behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, 79.2 is impressive for a rookie, and the biggest surprise at that position would be A.J. Dillon, just a horse of a man playing running back for the Green Bay Packers. He barely missed the grade for the best overall running back, just behind Damian Harris. Harris at 87.5, A.J. Dillon 87.4. Um, interesting grades all, and not who you would expect. Now, some of the grades we're going to get to here, on the other side of the break, are exactly what you would expect. All right, Chris Docky, Donald Hankerson with you on overtime, 106, uh, overtime on 106.7, the fan and Odyssey app, here until 9 o'clock. Overtime is the name of the show, 106.7 The Fan, and Odyssey app, Donald Hankerson alongside. I I rarely do the whole metrics thing and the nerd speak. I'm not very good at it. Generally speaking, don't understand it and largely don't care about it, but I find myself fascinated by the way the website PFF will grade out uh, NFL players on a weekly basis. The annual season, grades are out we talked about quarterback and running back i uh was blessed this year you know i played play a little bit of fantasy football I'm in a couple of different leagues you play a little bit Don? i do yeah i yeah. do
3: play in a few leagues with some friends yeah yeah it's
2: always a good time and a lot of trash being talked of course you know, it's, <laughs> we, i love the uh sunday night texts you know oh yeah and i and i love the fact that sometimes you get something uh, like on a Sunday afternoon where you're getting your ass kicked and all of a sudden you turn it around and somebody spoke too soon. Exactly. You know, karma is a bitch. Exactly. You know? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's happened both ways. I can't say it's always me turning the tables. I, you know, certainly no better than that. But one of the, one of the things I had this year, I played in four different leagues. One was a family thing and one was a work thing. You sort of compelled to do that. Right. Um, but I did have Devonte Adams on a couple of my teams. And it's crazy what he's able to put up. Now, I say that during a season when I I respectfully acknowledge that Cooper Cup was a triple crown winner this year. I mean, his numbers were monopoly numbers. But in terms of grading, again, and that takes into account not just you know not just catching the ball. Devonte Adams was the number one wide receiver, grade of ninety two point seven per PFF. It says Adams has now led the league in back-to-back years as he bested the Rams-Cooper Cup by less than one point. Adams can do everything from a receiver position as he finished with the highest receiving grade from the slot and wide alignments. He's an all-around receiver who can get open deep, run quick option routes, and locate the ball with incredible body control for those back-shoulder fade routes that Rodgers loves to throw. Impressive. Um, and he's a, he's a thrill. Uh, there's nothing like having a guy like that basically providing the hammer for you in a Sunday night or a Monday night game at the end of a fantasy weekend. Top rookie, absolutely no question about it, Jamar Chase. What a What a revelation he is. I mean, holy cow, what a talent. Uh grade of 84.0. Chase was immediately impactful this season as he reunited with his college quarterback Joe Burrow with the Bengals Over the first seven weeks of the season, he posted an 83.5 grade, fell off a little bit in the middle. Again, that's a rookie hitting the wall um, a little bit. But he helped the Bengals secure a division title while notching a 91.1 grade over the last three weeks. Justin Jefferson, think about this. Justin Jefferson was the top graded rookie last season. That means the LSU Tiger, you know, LSU Tigers, Think about that team they had with Joe as quarterback, the talent on that squad. Uh crazy. But Jamar Chase, biggest surprise. Um, I picked up this kid St. Brown, who played for the for the Lions late in the season. I and I all I knew about him was he was a stat grabber and he was a go-to guy. They would also use him out of the backfield. They'd give him the ball to run a little bit and He was the second-highest rookie graded out behind Chase, 17th-graded wide receiver overall. He's a fourth-round pick, Uh, mostly a slot guy. He had a hell of a year. Um, Tight ends. Mark Andrews from the Ravens. I thought, you know, George Kittle usually owns this, and obviously Travis Kelsey's one of those guys. Those are fantasy animals. This is not – this should not really predict or predicate who you're going for on a fantasy basis? These are pure grades, and you know blocking has something to do with that as well. Mark Andrews from the Ravens, the number one wide receiver, or excuse me, tight end, grade of ninety-one point five. Season go is didn't go as the way the Ravens wanted it to, and I got to tell you, I mean that still. I, and the last time I was in here, I talked about the whole notion of going for two the way they did in those two games. We discussed earlier in the show, Donald, the fact that that Saints game came came back to haunt you. I, I m- remember thinking after the Ravens lost the first game where they went for two against Pittsburgh. And I remember thinking, you're gonna, it's going to be hard to get, get beyond that one. And then when they did it a second time against the Packers, man, that's the difference between hitting and missing. Getting to the playoffs or not. And that's not to say they would have won either game, but they themselves in a better chance to win if they simply go for two. But Mark Andrews was had a phenomenal year. He had 107 catches. He was the most targeted tight end, 149. And it didn't matter who the Ravens played a quarterback. Hundley, Lamar. I mean, even Johnson played one game for them, and Andrews caught touchdown passes. He had a great run block uh, grade as well, 75.3 uh, all around. You know, terrific year for him. Top rookie. I refuse to believe sometimes that Kyle Pitts is a tight end because he runs like a deer. He gets downfield like very few tight ends do. He is the he posted the highest graded season for a rookie tight end since 2017. Finished fifth in yards per route among all tight ends. Um he caught a whopping, how about this? 31% of his Uh, of his contested catch opportunities he caught. That's a big number. He's big as a house, athletic as could be. And um, he had a great year in spite of Matt Ryan really not having a great year. Those are good numbers for for a rookie. Dalton Schultz had a very good year. He was the biggest surprise. He's become sort of Dak Prescott's security blanket, it seems like to me. He doesn't throw much to Zeke out of that backfield. Pollard he'll throw to a little bit. But Schultz is one of those guys that he really seems to appreciate, especially inside the red zone. And um, Schultz is one of those guys that racked up some fantasy numbers as well. Uh, So those are your your tight ends. Uh, You know, you get to the offensive line, and I don't know. Grading guys in the trenches is for guys wonkier than me, a little bit nerdier than me. But the first name on the board sticks out like a – The proverbial sore thumb. Trent Williams from the Niners has an enormous 98.3. In fact, here's what PFF says about him. Williams had one of the best PFF seasons ever seen from an offensive player, regardless of position. Williams didn't finish with a game um, grade lower than 72.9 and boasted 10 games above 80. After missing Week 18, he heads into the playoffs with zero sacks allowed And just three pressures allowed over his past five starts. Seems to be getting better as the season goes on. Where did he used to play? Oh, yeah. Used to play here. Now, I know he had a go. And I know that he had burned some bridges. It was very a lot of acrimony over his situation when he was here. He had some great, great years. And I would have bet... In a situation like that, he would go to San Fran basically on, you know, you know, basically take the tour where the rocking chair tour where they give you the rocking chair. Hey, you were a great pro, and you get the special acknowledgement at midfield after a game from the opponent and stuff like that. He's gotten better, and God bless him. He has he's a lot more motivated than I think a lot of a lot of fans remember him to be around here. I have some guys who were go to the used to go to the Redskins game every weekend. Now they go to WFT games every weekend and they swear he was the most overrated skin of all time. But I mean, these grades do not lie. And these guys are far more judicious in their grading than a bunch of guys who are drinking beer at FedEx field by friends, you know, so drinking beer and, and other things I'm sure. So Trent Williams jumps out, you know, and I'm not going to go through all the offensive line to Zach Martin from the Cowboys. Um, Gets the highest grade for a guard. Center is Creed Humphrey from the Chiefs. Man, the Chiefs really turned it around this year. Uh, Chiefs had a number of guys in that offensive line who received outstanding grades. But I do want to get to the defense because I think that there's some marquee guys and also some rookies that completely changed the game uh, as rookies. And one rookie in particular who graded out not only as the highest rookie at his position, but the highest player overall And it will be of no surprise. We're going to get to that here momentarily. Chris Docky and Donald Hankerson on Overtime on 106.7 The Fan and Odyssey App. Back on the other side of the break.
3: T-Mobile has invested
0: billions to light up America's largest 5G network. From big cities to small towns, including right here in yours
2: I, Chris Docky, Donald Hankerson, with you till 9 o'clock. It's overtime on 106.7 The Fan and Odyssey app. I swear this is the last segment of nerd speak. But before we get there, you know, it's hard for me not to believe, Donald, the Houston Texans fired David Culley. Now, this is just another in a long line of NFL firings and they happen so fast and so furious anymore. You sort of ho-hum, ho-hum, you know, it's just another dude, right? It's not as big a clown as Joe Judge, but you know, he's a guy who, you know, who got canned, but he gets canned after one season. They go four and 12 or four and 13, I guess, but they went two, two and two in their last four games. Also before that two and two finish, they were much more competitive than I think a lot of people thought they would be when everybody learned that there would be no Deshaun Watson this year. And, you know, the the management there is basically a management that was brought in from the New England Patriots. And, it like, it smacks of a situation where a guy was completely set up to fail. And I don't know David Cully. I couldn't even... I, I don't know what his resume would tell you about him necessarily, but I'd tell you that he should probably hold his head high because, um, again, they represented a little bit down there. They had no quarterback play to speak of, got a little bit of help from Davis Mills down the stretch, you know, but he was terrible at the start of the season. And in a situation, one year for an NFL head coach to exact change it, with an organization in complete and utter turmoil like they were. I, that's that, to me. That seems ridiculous.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, especially like in the NFL, just as a sport, it's it's just such a tough sport to win. And you know, your serving size and the amount of games that you have. Obviously, you can't play, you know, but so many games. But this year, having seventeen games, it's you know, it's it's just hard to really you know make the playoffs. And and to your point, if you don't even have your franchise guy, and you don't have the support of the Front office and things like that. I think, you know, given with what he had, it's he he did a pretty good job down the stretch.
2: How much do you think it sucked for David Kelly to walk into that building every day and see a top five quarterback in the NFL in street clothes? Or even worse, basically wearing, you know, on the taxi squad. Right. How bad I mean, seriously, you're looking at that guy thinking this is the difference be this is the difference between being four and 13 and being well they're not gonna be 13 and four but I bet they'd get to eight and nine if he gets to eight and nine or or nine and eight he's not getting fired
3: oh yeah of course not if he's if he's pushing about 500, 500 yeah, yeah
2: yeah so unless he clowns himself and and so I mean I saw that and it, it and it's, we it's, again we're just a, numb to things when it happens like that and and to a degree in professional sports you're hired to keep the seat warm. I know that. I get that. But the fact of the matter is sometimes it just smacks of being uh, being unfair. And I don't know how this is playing in Texas, but it may be one of those things where Houston fans think that they're going to bring bringing in you know some big name to to run that franchise. They're, they're still going to have the same personnel and you could have Houdini down there and it doesn't really matter. Uh, you gotta you gotta get the nuts and bolts right and it's funny I mentioned the Patriots they got the nuts and bolts right I'm gonna get to the defensive grades here. Some of these things are really obvious. Aaron Donald number one ranked defensive tackle he's pretty high grade dominated again this season per PFF and PFF wins uh, above replacement war stat uh, Donald absolutely dwarfs every other defender so he obviously had a great great year. Again, Patriots doing the little things right and drafting correctly. The top rookie was a Patriot, Christian Barmore, who had a very good year. A rookie interior defenders. Not a great year, apparently, for rookie uh, interior defenders, although he had one himself. Um, Edge defender, Miles Garrett from the Browns. No surprise there. Continues to improve. He gets better every year. His grades have gone up every year. Just a dominant force uh, for them. you know, linebacker. Here's where I wanted to get to. You know, Donald. Very every once in a while, you you see these guys. Now I'm old enough to have a certain perspective here, but you see guys who come into the league that are transformational guys, and and sometimes they're 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 even more eye opening on the defensive side of things. I remember vividly when Lawrence Taylor came into to, to play for the Giants, uh, drafted out of North Carolina, and from the get go. Um, he was just an absolute nightmare, and, and a, a particularly a nightmare given the fact that he played with a, for an arch rival that you were going to see at least two times a year. And I I kind of feel the same way watching Micah Parsons play for the Cowboys. I, I don't know. I mean, he is really cut from the LT role in the sense that he can line up on the line. I don't know that that's his best position. When they played him at linebacker, and, and Props to Dan Quinn and Dallas because they played him all over the place, made him a little harder to find. But when he when he sort of, you know, became a quarterback chaser from a linebacker position, man, it was, you know, hunt, kill, eat is what it was for Micah Parsons. He had a remarkable year. His grade was not only the biggest for a linebacker, it's was biggest for a rookie, 88.5. Parsons listed as a linebacker split time between edge defender and an off ball linebacker in Dan Quinn's defense. He really started to excel, you know, diagnosing plays from linebacker, rushing the passer. I mean, he just a nightmare. And um almost un- untouchable with the quickness that he has for an offensive lineman. You think of offensive lineman being kind of lumbering, you know, and man, they see a guy like that coming. It's a long afternoon. Uh, finishing up here as we head towards break. Jalen Ramsey from the Rams grades out as the highest graded quarterback uh, cornerback. He uh, he set the record PFF record for grading for a cornerback in 2017 when he hit 91.3. He was at 84 this year, still the best grade for a cornerback um, and for safety. Kevin Byard from the from the Titans. Uh, 84.6, or excuse me, 9.5, and Javon Holland from the Dolphins right behind at 84.6. Another guy who was in there as the biggest surprise, Adrian Phillips from the Patriots. So one of the common themes here, you see the teams who graded out the highest. I don't know if there's a whole lot to make of this, but Andy Reid in his program, like he's a nuts and bolts guy. And for all the, the, the street cred he gets for... Innovative, innovative offense. The master of the screen pass and all that. He really develops guys. For instance, for instance, there are three guys listed from the Chiefs on their interior offensive line who had graded out as great years. Patriots the same way. The nuts and bolts position, and you throw in running back there too. Their their names are all over these grades. You think that's that's not just coincidence, right? The old school guys who basically concentrate on the nuts and bolts of the game.
3: Yeah. I think to your point, uh, Andy Reid has just had a, you know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, want to talk about Bill Belichick and things in the longevity. You got to throw Andy Reed's name in that hat for sure. Just what he's done to your point in Kansas city. And then even in his Philadelphia days, it's, it's amazing.
2: I, I think he's taken for granted. You know, I think he's, I, and I love the fact a couple years ago, he finally got a super bowl in him because you never want to be the best coach to never do something, the best golfer to never win a major, the best this that never dot, 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 and good for him. And he's an entertaining guy as well. I, I love his act. Uh, seems to be in it for all the right reasons, and he's been mad successful for sure. All right, this hour is in the books. Chris Knocky, Donald Hankerson on 106.7 The Fan and Odyssey app. When we come back, we want to talk about the great and lost art of trash-talking